0: Today, I'm talking with Omar Harris, author of Be a Jedi Leader, Not a Boss Leadership in the Era of Corporate Social Justice, Equity, Diversion, and Inclusion. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on Omar. Omar Harris is a former pharmaceutical general manager, intent consulting, and Tempo.io founder, motivational speaker, and best selling author with over 20 years' experience building high performance organizations on four continents. Having managed multi-billion dollar brands and led extensive organizations while working in the Middle East, Asia, Latin America, and the U.S., he innovated blueprints for Jedi leadership and servant leadership and 20-team performance acceleration principles that can be applied by leaders at all levels of professional experience. To learn more about Omar Harris and his work, visit his website at omarlharris.com. Well, hi, Omar. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live.
1: Thank you, Sherry. Very happy to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about your book, Be a Jedi Leader, Not a Boss.
1: Uh, Well, Be a Jedi Leader, Not a Boss is the uh, third book I've published in the last three years. Mm -hmm. And and it's kind of the expansion of, I guess you could think of it as a a, uh, leadership series. uh, That started with uh, 2019's leaderboard, the DNA of High Performance Teams, which is about high performance team leadership, which is a skill set that is really lacking and necessary in today's work world because when you become a manager, no one teaches you how to lead a team. You kind Mm -hmm. of learn on the fly. And so I wanted to kind of help uh, emerging leaders really give them a set of tools or what I call team performance acceleration principles that they can utilize to accelerate their team performance through the natural stages of forming, storming, norming, and performing right so that was the intention of that book and then i followed that up with the servant leaders manifesto in 2020 which really was digging into kind of a new way to lead organizations that was more oriented towards the people who add value to the external stakeholders and not basically managing up and managing the politics of the organization. So basically reminding everyone of the purpose of an organization is to support the people who add value to customers, basically. And that book is doing exceptionally well Mm. uh, right now. And I I happen to be living overseas um, when I published these two books. I was living in Indonesia and Brazil when I published the first two books. And I moved back to the U.S. last March, smack dab in the middle of the global pandemic, social justice protests... And at uh, a very crucial American election.
0: Oh wow! Welcome back, huh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you. This is after eight years. Eight years out of the country, right? Huh. So. And I took all this in, I just published the book, Seven Leaders Manifesto, and I was taking all these inputs in and I I realized that I needed to take it a little bit further in terms of modernizing leadership even more. And one of the things that, you know, is causing people to be disengaged with their workforces today is uh, when employers don't walk the talk, they have these beautiful purpose statements about what they plan to do and how they're going to change the world. And then you go work for them and it's all about profits and money for executives. And so I really believe that businesses can be more because business is the one place we come together where regardless of your political views, religious views, background, whatever it is, you're coming together to do a thing, right? You're coming Mm -hmm. together to sell something or to promote something or to have a service. And so you drop all those things at the door to do that job, right? And because of that, Businesses can aspire to do greater good than I think any other force in society today. And that's why I wrote Be a Jedi Leader, Not a Boss, because in order for businesses to do that great good, first of all, they have to work about eradicating injustices that happen internally, eliminating inequities, expanding diversity, and enhancing inclusion. And so the book is a blueprint for. Uh, how leaders can modernize their approach and then begin to add a lot more value to a lot more stakeholders, not just employees, but customers, communities, and the environment in addition to shareholders.
0: Yeah. My stepdaughter was just promoted as a team leader. She was just kind of thrown into it. It's like, oh, she needs your books. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, well, the thing is, it's the most crucial role in an organization, frontline management, and it's the job you you get with the least amount of training. Yeah. And I don't know why corporations would spend all this money and promote you into these jobs and not give you the benefit of helping you, enable you to be successful at that level. They treat it more as a sink or swim, where basically, okay, if you survive at this level, then we'll move you up. And if you don't, we'll just replace you. Versus Mm. this is crucial to the organization's success. Let's invest in these frontline leaders so that we can maintain or enhance productivity and engagement of our workforce. And I think that's the biggest issue with corporations today is that this whole idea of moving up through a corporation is like a gauntlet, uh, versus you know it being more like okay, the higher up I go, the more my privilege increases to serve and support others who mm. are coming up.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the pandemic. The pandemic is is definitely changing the way the business world works, even with people opting to leave the corporate environment completely. Uh, does yes. your book address that shift?
1: Well, I think I predicted it in the Servant Leaders Manifesto. Uh- <laughs> Uh, And then it came to fruition, but I've been talking about this for a long time. The data has been in front of our faces for maybe 15, 16 years. The organization Gallup, they do quarterly employee engagement surveys globally, right? And Mm -hmm. you can see that over the last 16 years, global employee engagement has been hovering around 30%. So. Mm naturally, if some watershed event happens to make people reflect on why they're doing what they're doing, then it could transform the entire state of the workforce, which is exactly what the pandemic did. People had time to sit back, Really evaluate their employers. They're working from home. They're having existential crises, thinking about their lives. I mean, everybody's kind of confronting this situation uh, simultaneously, which led to this great resignation trend Mm -hmm. where we saw, you know, 4 million people resign in April alone, 11.5 million people uh, leave the workforce in the second quarter alone. I don't have the data for the third quarter, but I think it's not even better than the second. So this was a predictable outcome from the way people were being led and the way organizations were being managed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What do you think the new corporate blueprint is going to look like? Are we going to a more hybrid type of environment?
1: Yeah, I think you've seen examples of companies that are basically going fully virtual, giving the opportunity for their uh, employees to kind of choose how and where they want to work. You may see uh, satellite offices pick up. So basically, if an organization understands their demographics, understand where people live, they may choose to place like a small satellite office for meetings and such uh, near those people, right? Mm -hmm. and basically get rid of the big corporate office, which will actually be good for the environment and good for finances because you don't have to maintain this large operational apparatus anymore. So that would not be a bad thing for businesses to do. But, however, the issue is that, once again, now poor managers who weren't prepared to lead teams are definitely not prepared to lead virtual teams. Right. So on the same hand, if companies are not investing in mass right now, on training their managers to be successful team leaders virtually, then once again, the companies that invest in that are going to be successful, the ones that don't are not going to be successful, they're going to struggle.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us briefly about the five goals of Jedi leadership?
1: Well, there are five principal inequities that we're trying to eradicate as Jedi leaders. Mm -hmm. The first one is uh, the concept of privileged hiring. One of the first inequities that happens in any corporation is the idea of trying to hire the best A players. And it's a, it's a fully subjective concept who are the best, right? Mm-hmm. So you can assume that you get the best from the best universities or you get the best from the best companies. So you either poach your employees from uh, you know other competitors or you poach them from the best universities. Now – there are a whole lot of people who can't attend the best universities who are just as skilled passionate and good at what they do but because they don't have this kind of check the box on their resumes they don't even get in the door right, right. so that's the first inequity is not casting a wide enough net and therefore this is why the demographics internally look look the way they look because the best universities typically come with a, a degree of privilege come with a degree of economic privilege and then therefore will reflect a certain segment of society more so than other segments of society, and that's one of the first issues with how do you you know expand diversity in your organization and and right that inequity is 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 get rid of privilege hiring, mm-hmm. uh, and this is where you need to hire for behaviors not pedigree. So the way you solve that problem is you begin to solve for what I call high performance DNA and not. Just pedigree or where you went to school or where you currently work. So the method of methodology is called the whom. It's a hiring for people who are have high work ethic, heart or shared passion, optimism, and maturity. Mm. And that's a much more effective way to hire than just look at someone's uh, resume or past experience. The second area you're trying to eradicate is when you do hire people and bring them in, it tends to be sink or swim onboarding. So basically your manager tells you, hey, here's your resources, here's your laptop, here's your phone and get to work. (laughs) And and basically, you know, you're on your own, right? So And so you spend all this money to recruit these people. It costs almost $240,000 to recruit a new employee. And then you just leave them up to their own devices, right? It doesn't make any sense. Right. So rather than sink or swim onboarding, I say go overboard and onboarding. So this is where the manager, So basically, managers should take ownership of onboarding and not delegate that to HR. And basically, it's your job as a manager to create that trusting bond right from the beginning of your relationship with your employee. Mm-hmm. I do something called interviewing, not interviewing, but interviewing, which is a process after hiring an employee, when i come on board, where I spend three hours building trust and getting to know my employee with each employee. Every single one of them, three hours to build a bond right from the beginning so that, you know, we have our expectations mutually set. We understand our communication styles. We compare our strengths and talents. We understand our trust builders and trust breakers. We have a whole dynamic so that we build this right from the beginning so that we can be successful together moving forward. And so it's transformative. It it shows the employee how much their manager cares. And people don't leave companies, they leave employers. They They leave managers, right? Right. And so it's a really important step. The third thing is around talent whitewashing. So the third thing that happens is that you got hired, you didn't get onboarded, and then uh, the company tells you that in order for you to succeed, you have to basically get rid of who you're, your own authenticity and who you are and become like us, right? <laughs> so you have to become one of us, you know, Googler or Facebook or Amazon or whatever. You have to be one of us. So one of us means whatever we value, whatever our, you know, principles are, whatever our work ethic is, you know, I was reading a book by Jeff Bezos where he said he wants employees who work around the clock. If you can't work around the clock and have that capacity, then you're not going to be successful at Amazon. So that's the kind of idea where you don't accept someone's diversity or their unique approach or to work and living. You force fit them into a, into a round peg, right? Yeah. That's the third inequity. So uh, the way you solve that inequity is by transforming talent into strength. And so basically you look at every person who comes into your organization as talented and your job is to mine and derive their talent and unique strengths, because everybody's unique. Everybody brings something different to the table. So a manager's job is to be able to extract that potential and learn from that uniqueness and add that uniqueness to the stew of the company. Rather than me make you conform, I'm gonna learn how to use what you have to make us better. Hmm. So that's transformative. The fourth inequity happens when, okay, so you you got hired, you didn't get onboarded, you, you're you told to conform to the structure, and then you don't even understand how you're being paid. So you have corrupted compensation. Basically, you start hearing about people at your same level who are getting paid more, or people, or new joiners who come in getting paid 20% more, mm-hmm. and you're doing the same job, and you can't understand why there's such a disparity in compensation, right? And usually, You know, it's people who may not look like you if you're coming from a diverse standpoint, you don't understand the rules of the game and why people are being paid so much. So the way you compensate consistently is doing what I call internal uh, pay audits. And so you do an audit where you take the demographics, you take the departments, you take the divisions, and rather than look at external benchmarks, which is what HR does to determine like levels and, and how much people should be paid, you do an internal benchmarking study first to understand the variations within your own company. So for example, in one role, you might have a, a product manager who makes you know $60,000 and your top product manager makes $90,000. Mm-hmm. And then look at the demographics, right? So if you see that, your male product managers are making 90000 and your female product managers are making sixty five, and they have similar tenure. You need to reconcile that, mm. right? Before you even look at external standards, you need to reconcile that number internally because it's not fair. You can't explain it to anyone. It's very subjective because what I learned in my corporate career was compensation is only as good as the passion of the hiring manager to fight for someone's compensation. So two things happen with compensation. Basically one, if I really want someone externally and they tell me that they they negotiate well coming in the door, I will pay them more if I really need them to come on my team, right? So if I really love this candidate, I will give them that 10% or 20% overage because I'm just trying to get them in the seat, right? Right. right. Uh, so I'll pay them more coming in the door. Now, the other thing that happens is promotions and people who threaten to leave the company. So if you're smart enough to say, listen, I'm always scanning the market and I, I will leave for something better – and you communicate that to your company, typically your company will retain you. People who play that game end up getting more compensation than people who don't play that game, right? So it's unfair. Once again, it comes down to people who know how to operate the system. Yeah. Your compensation system should, shouldn't be able to be hacked so subjectively is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So you have to do these internal pay audits look at the demographics, and make sure things are really level internally, and then you can benchmark externally, is what I would say is the fourth inequity of corrupted compensation. And then the final inequity is, do all these things. You accept the four other inequities, and you still could be terminated at any moment because your company goes through a financial crisis. Mm. And it's not the senior leaders who get terminated, it's the employees who work hardest who who get terminated first. And this is fundamentally unfair, right? It's called targeted termination. So at the end of the day, you're just a number and your finance department will say, listen, we need to cut X percentage of the workforce. We see this happen all the time, downsizing, layoffs, whatever it is. And it fundamentally doesn't make any sense because actually the bulk of the cost of the organization is in the higher layers, right? Right, right. So why don't senior leaders who have led to these financial crises be the first to be let go versus the employees who had nothing to do with whatever happened reputationally or or making wrong strategic decisions or whatever it is during you know, that doesn't make any sense. So basically we need to make sure that termination of employees is the last resort. We invest before we terminate.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: how we solve that last inequity. So those are it's a long winded explanation to your question. <laughs> Sherry, but those are the five inequities and the five solutions.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now who's the specific audience for your book? Is it top level managers, mid-level? Because it seems like some of the inequities aren't solvable at the mid-level management position or below.
1: So what I say is that everybody can be a Jedi leader. You become a Jedi leader when you begin to individualize the experience of your employees and the more you individualize that experience like for example in a three-hour interviewing session when i'm with my employee i will begin to learn for example the areas where they are sensitive about justice equity diversity and inclusion right i will begin to learn those areas so it's my job as a manager to speak up Mm. i i said this on a call yesterday i was like listen if 20 percent of employees would just speak up when they saw something wrong or unfair happening the entire DEI consulting industry would be dead Mm. because a lot of what happens internally is just a result of people not being scared to speak up and not being heard when they do speak up around injustices and inequities. So, you know, companies don't want to hear, you know, the internal employees around these issues, but they'll pay someone like me, you know, millions of dollars to consult them and show them what the employees were telling them all along. Anyway, it doesn't make any sense. Right. So it's really, you know, about every level of the organization being committed at your level to do which if you're a manager of, of five or six people, you can be a Jedi leader. If you're a, a, a manager of managers, you can be a Jedi leader. If you're a CEO, you can be. a Jedi. So basically, it's your influence level goes up, right? And your ability to impact change goes up. So basically, who can do the most good as a Jedi leader, of course, is the CEO. Right. Mm-hmm. But every manager can do good for your world, which is your employees as a Jedi leader. So it's, it's basically not level dependent.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So is there a process like how would you recommend one read through and, and work through your book?
1: Basically, the way I designed the book is in three sections. So the first part of the book is really just the background underlying philosophy of Jedi leadership, which is basically an offshoot of servant leadership. So we have to ground ourselves in the principles of servant leadership, which are positive psychology, eliminating the ego, and not choosing to be a boss, choosing to be a leader, right? So basically, you have to make those, mm. make that determination. Then we go through kind of the background of being a Jedi leader, which means leaning into anti-racism, allyship, and acceptance. Of, of difference in your organization, uh, the why of the Jedi leader and the how of the Jedi leader. So basically how, why do Jedi leaders you know, do what they do and how do they do what they do? And then finally, the last section of the book is about the impacts Jedi leaders can have on employees, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. And so that's basically how the book is designed.
0: Okay. Now you do consulting as well, or executive coaching. Um... I
1: do. I do executive coaching. I do training. I do motivational speaking. I do. I do consulting. High level DEI consulting for organizations. Basically, I'm a one stop shop when it comes to these things.
0: Okay. So yeah, because I was just wondering, is there a way for leaders and, and readers to you know, take your book to the next level.
1: Yes, yes. And I'm currently developing on-demand training program. I have an on-demand training program for servant leadership, but I'm developing an on-demand training program for Jedi leadership. And also, like, I do a great deal of facilitation. You know, I'll come into your organization and do kind of an awareness campaign, work with different departments on their initiatives, you know, and everything from high-level consulting to basically go through – you know, and root out the injustices and inequities in all of your processes and procedures uh, to improve that as well. So basically, you know, all of the above.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow. I'm curious, what kind of feedback have you received from readers so far on your book?
1: It's been phenomenal. I mean, you know, the thing that's interesting, Sherry, is that I noticed that the longer a book is, the longer it takes readers to finish it, the longer the review, it takes a little while for reviews to come in. Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Um, So, for example, the Sermon Leaders Manifesto is like 93 pages, and I have 185, 4.7 out of five reviews for that book.
0: (laughs) Wow. Because it's
1: it's, it's a very short but impactful read. Now, uh, this book is 236 pages, so I've been told that uh, it's the most well-researched book on this topic in the marketplace. Wow. So I have over 230 references in this book. So it's very very dense, is what I would say. Yeah. So people have told me that they have to read and stop and reflect and you know think about. So it's one of those kind of books mm-hmm. that you that you work your way through. You, I mean, you know, people have sent me pictures of like like literally post its on every page. <laughs> and one of the things I like to do is I go through my books and I like take quotes. And for this book, almost every page was quotable. Like all, like there's a quote from every single page of the book, uh, almost. So it's interesting from that perspective, but readers have been very favorable right now. It's sitting at, uh, at 4.7 out of five stars on Amazon and, uh, very proud of, of the response so far on, on readers favorite, um, which is, which I, I got, uh, recent reviews, uh, five readers gave it all five star reviews. Awesome. So five of five. So I'm, so I feel good about that.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. I wanted to find out a little bit more about the quotes you were just talking about, because I noticed on your website, you have a social content page that looks amazing with one line quotes that I assume from all of your books. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are for people just to take and they can post for themselves. Those are all the quotes I took out of all the books. Yeah. So if you read those, it's like you're just like reading the book, but like you can see kind of these themes come out and... You know, if you, if a quote inspires you, then you can share that quote and that, that can do as much as even reading a book sometimes, you know, it's a free way to influence and to inspire. So I just want to be useful and valuable. You know, I am a true servant leader and I exist to serve and support everyone who wants to be a better leader. And so I just want to be a, a living resource for everyone who's looking to improve their leadership, either as an individual or as an organization or as a team leader, you know, I'm here to support.
0: Wow. Yeah, nice. So, Be a Jedi Leader, Not a Boss is your most recent book in your series. Do you see another book along these lines on the horizon?
1: Yes, I'm working on a series of three books now. It's going to be my next leadership series. So, now that I've kind of laid the theoretical basis down for this new belief set of modern leadership... I want to help leaders kind of do the work. And so literally the series is called The Work. Mm. <laughs> and the first book is called The Work of Leading Oneself, Becoming the Brilliant Leader Within. The second book will be about leading teams. And the third book will be about leading the enterprise. Oh, wow. So it will be references books. So, and it's fundamentally very practical, exercises, You know, it's very like hands on assessments to let you know where you are today Mm -hmm. and practical exercises and things you can do to move from where you are to where you want to be as a leader. And so, for example, the book I'm working on now, which is the leading oneself there are 13 elements of self-leadership that I've laid out in this book. And so you take an assessment at the beginning of the book and rate yourself in terms of where you are strong or where you are you know, uh, have opportunity areas, and you work through the book strength to opportunity areas. So if you're already strong, you start with the chapters that are based on the, the themes where you're already strong, mm-hmm. so you can build upon strength. And then you work your way down to your opportunity areas because I'm strength based. And basically, you should already lean into where you're already strong because you have the best opportunity to improve in areas where you already have natural proclivity. Mm. And so that book is is very exciting. I'm having a lot of fun writing it, and it's very once again very very brass tacks, very practical.
0: Yeah, you
1: know nothing theoretical in this book. It's just all about like do this and see this result.
0: Well, you're going to be busy, huh?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, my, my goal is to publish, you know, this. I really want to publish all three of those books next year. Uh huh. And the good thing is that now that I've written three, I've kind of gotten myself to a point where I, I know how to write these books now. Right. Um, and so it's, it, it's getting easier the more that I write them.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Did you have anything else you'd like to share today?
1: I wanted to share that the book is actually free this week so Be a Gentle Leader not a Boss is free on Amazon Kindle all of this week if you go to my Amazon page Omar L Harris you'll see all my books but you can you can definitely download be a leader, not a boss for free, and maybe even pick up Server Leader's Manifesto or or Leaderboard or both if you're intrigued by this methodology. Uh, or gift them to people in your lives who are working in corporations. You know, we're in gifting season anyway, so it's a great opportunity to provide some value to your, your friends and family and your professional network.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Omar, thank you so much for stopping by today and, and sharing with us a little bit more about you and your work.
1: Thank you, Sherry. It's been great talking to you.
0: Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Omar Harris, author of Be a Jedi Leader, Not a Boss. To learn more about Omar and his work, visit his website at omarlharris.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at insidescooplive.com.